0: This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by HostGator.com. Do you need to launch your own website? If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to register, host, and build your site, you should check out HostGator.com. They have tools to help you get started immediately, whether you're transferring a domain or building your site from scratch. So, you know, all you fans who want to open up, here's a look at my RobotGuts.com or drcorbyforever.net or KenIsSecretlyARobot.org. You can just head over to HostGator.com and have that up before we're done with today's episode. Speaking of DrCorbyForever.net, a .NET address is the best way to get a good domain name these days. Grab your .NET today. It gets better though. Hostgator has 24 7 tech support on the phone, live chat, or email, and you can choose from shared or dedicated servers. All that plus packages that include unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. Order now with the coupon code MissionLog, and you'll get 30% off at Hostgator.com.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 64, The Tholian Web.
2: Welcome in to another edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hosting from the East, I'm the incredible disappearing,
0: reappearing Ken Ray. And from the West, I'm the incredible, reappearing, disappearing John Champion. Each week, we watch an episode of Star Trek.
2: Then we take it apart, hash out the messages, morals, and meanings of the show, and try to figure out whether the whole kit and caboodle stand the test of time.
0: And we would love to hear from your entire kit and caboodle. You can give us a call at 323-522-5641. You can find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter on all three places, our handle is Mission Log Pod. You can email us at missionlog at Roddenberry.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Today, Ken. Today we weave a web, the Tholian web. Yeah,
2: surprising a uh, lack of Tholians in this episode
0: yeah we just get a glimpse of tholians we get a lot of web yeah but just a little bit of tholian in there just a little bit of dialogue you know uh, there are
2: almost as many tholians in every other episode of star trek
0: (laughs) right as there are
2: in this episode uh which is named after them i really thought there might have been a few more
0: bless their pointy little heads and uh and they are pointy and their psychedelic skin And crazy voices. Well, you know, before we get too deep into it, uh, how about I give you a little trivia on those Tholians and the web that they weave? Won't you please? All right. So the Tholian web was directed by that great Star Trek director, Herb Wallerstein. What? You've never heard of Herb Wallerstein? Um, Well, actually, this episode was directed by Ralph Sinensky, who is a a longtime frequent Star Trek collaborator and contributor. But unfortunately, he was fired three days into production by Fred Freiberger. He came in on a Monday. It was August 5th, 1968, and it was ready to film starting at 730 in the morning. And uh, there was a costume problem, specifically those uh, spacesuits that we get to see in this episode, throughout this episode. Um, They hadn't been finished yet. So that put everything behind by a few hours. So they didn't finish their first day of shooting. But they tried to make up for a lot of it. Uh, They got a good, solid three days done. And then that third day, Fred Freiberger called... Uh, Ralph Sinemski into his office and said, uh, too bad, we are letting you go. Um, Daily Variety, Hollywood Reporter, all the trades picked this up on the next day, which would have been August 8th, 1968. And uh, Ralph Sinemski relates that he got a a very apologetic phone call directly from Gene Roddenberry about the whole snafu. Um, You know, it's one thing that uh, productions don't like their shows to get behind in schedule, uh, but the This one seemed like a particularly egregious slap in the face since uh, Raul Sinensky had been a very uh, uh, reliable contributor to the show throughout the first couple of seasons. Um, So the directing credit was given to Herb Wallerstein. Uh, Raul Sinensky said he did not want the credit for the show. Um, And it's also around this time that the DP, the director of photography on Star Trek changed as well. Uh, Jerry Finnerman, who had done the DP work for almost all of the first and second and early third season, was now gone. And it was Al Francis who was behind the camera. So Ken, that might account for some of that different look that you're talking about in uh, season three compared to the other two seasons. I um, also want to point out that in terms of guest stars, uh, well, we really don't have guest stars, but we do have that Tholian, or at least we have the voice of Luskine, the Tholian commander, played by Barbara Babcock. Now, Barbara Babcock, we have heard her voice a couple of other places in Star Trek, but we actually got to see her on camera as Maya Three from A Taste of Armageddon. Um, I mentioned earlier about those spacesuits not being ready in time, uh, but we do want to mention one of the other kind of interesting problems with those suits. They were, of course, designed by uh, Star Trek costume designer Bill Tice, and the actors were actually sewn into those outfits. They did not have zippers or snaps. So every time somebody had to uh, answer the call of nature, it held up production, something awful. Uh, So a lesson to you kids making films, make sure you put zippers in your spacesuits. Uh, this is the first ever writing credit for Judy Burns. This is her uh, first sold and produced piece. She went on to uh, write a fair number of uh, episodic TV shows, including five contributions to T.J. Hooker. Uh, Chet Richards also gets a credit. He and Judy were married at the time, but this is his only credit of any kind. And by the way, uh, there's a kind of interesting interview with uh, Judy Burns from the uh, UCLA uh, website. She was a a professor at UCLA for a little while. And they're talking about how she got started in the business. And um, it's very interesting. She says that really her interest was in going to Africa. She wanted to dig up bones. She wanted to do all that kind of, uh, you know, truly in the field work in archaeology and anthropology and, uh, and she didn't have the money to do it so she was just trying to figure out a way to make a lot of money fast and she found out that Star Trek would pay her about 2500 bucks, which was a good amount of money in 1968 for a single script so she called and she fought her way in and sold her script so she could do other things with her life but then fortunately for us she kept writing
1: And at least there is a bones tie-in. Life as we know it is ephemeral. Kirk takes a couple of hours out of universe to examine that idea, while the crew of the Enterprise goes nuts. Let's let John tell us more.
0: Prologue. The Enterprise arrives at the last known coordinates for the USS Defiant in an area of relatively unknown and uncharted space. When the Defiant is spotted, something is wrong. It doesn't show up on sensors, but it's just kind of floating eerily in space, like some kind of ghost ship. Spock lets us all know that somehow space in this area seems to be coming apart. Makes no sense to him, either. No better time, then, to form a landing party and go check it out. McCoy, Spock, Chekhov, and Kirk... Beam over while Scotty stands heroically by the captain's chair. Once on board the Defiant, looks like everyone who once served there is dead. Act 1. The Defiant captain's neck was broken, and Chekhov is confused. Could it have been a mutiny? Nope. Definitely not mutiny, Spock says. No record of that ever happening in Starfleet. When the party breaks up, it's the same scenes of horror all over the ship. Crew member corpses everywhere. McCoy finds it in sickbay, Chekov finds it in engineering, and the now totally ironically named life support. He makes his report to Kirk, but then he starts to feel like he had a little too much vodka at the Mayday party. He's dizzy, and the room around him looks like it was shot with a fisheye lens, because it was. McCoy is having no better luck in sickbay. He finds bodies everywhere, for sure, but he also finds that his hand passes right through one of the bodies, and even a table. The ship is is dissolving, and Kirk is pretty sure they need to get out of there. He calls over to the Enterprise, where Scotty tells him that the problems they are encountering in this area are playing havoc with the transporter. He can't bring everyone back at once. Kirk volunteers to stay behind. Once McCoy, Spock, and Chekov are back aboard the Enterprise, they attempt to bring Kirk back aboard, but no such luck. The Defiant kind of fades into black. You might even say it winks out of existence, and the captain along with it. Act two. Time for a little exposition, y'all. Spock confers with the ship's computer to determine the next time the interphase will occur, i.e. when the Defiant shows up again, in a little over two hours. He also tells Chekhov that this is just where more than one parallel universe will overlap. You know, no big deal. It's just multiple universes colliding and messing everything up. Chekhov is either coming up with an excuse to get out of a pop quiz later, or he's been struck again by that same mystery illness that showed up on the Defiant. He freaks out, terribly so, and must be taken away to sickbay. Wow, way to put a damper on a science lecture. Then a ship appears, no, not the Defiant, but a Tholian vessel commanded by Luskene of the Tholian Assembly. The Tholians are territorial and punctual. They'll give Spock exactly the time until the next interface about an hour and a half at this point, until they come back and make good on their threats. In sickbay, McCoy is trying to come up with an antidote for the madness that gripped the Defiant and now Chekhov. As he's working, one of his orderlies succumbs and goes on the attack. He's finally subdued, but McCoy now understands that the madness is happening as a result of this unstable patch of space where they are. They've got to get out some bad timing though because the interphase in which they thought they were going to be able to recover the captain just came in went without any luck captain kirk is still somewhere out there trapped between universes apparently the tholians showing up must have disturbed things we'll have to wait for the next interface but mccoy says the enterprise needs to leave now before that can turn into a debate the tholians have shown up again and open fire Scotty says they cannot take any more, something like that, and he asks Spock to open fire on the Tholians. McCoy is not too pleased with the sudden use of force. Sure, the first Tholian is disabled, but now the Enterprise is also disabled, and the Tholians are back, creating some kind of energy web around the Enterprise. The day just got worse. Act 3. Spock gives a speech about Captain Kirk. He has to assume now that the captain is dead and he, in his place, is now in command of the Enterprise. If you think a science lesson from Spock is enough to freak someone out, this news hits hard on at least one crewman who can't hold back his rage after hearing it, and also being hit with the madness. McCoy and Spock now retire to Kirk's quarters. All along, McCoy has been goading him about his decision to fire and, more importantly, not getting the Enterprise to safety. Now all their fates are sealed. When McCoy and Spock play back a video that Kirk left behind, to be played only in the event that he is assumed dead, they find a message that confirms that Spock is in charge, but he must use McCoy's compassion to balance his command logic. Uhura, meanwhile, has slipped into something more comfortable in her quarters, but she starts to feel the pain of the interface. Just as she recovers, there's Kirk's image in her mirror. She's sure she isn't hallucinating. and She runs off to tell McCoy. He's not too quick to believe her. He says he'll get Spock, but soon the image of Kirk is showing up all over the ship. It's also showing up in engineering, where one of the other crewmen is losing it and lashes out to attack Scotty. Now assembled on the bridge, all three, Scotty, Spock, and McCoy, see the image of Captain Kirk floating and trying to say something to them. Spock reaches out, but the image fades away. Act 4. That energy field the Tholians are building around the Enterprise is getting much bigger. Uhura is getting better, though. She wasn't crazy. Everyone saw Kirk, and now Spock and Scotty know why. That phaser blast disturbed enough of space to completely hide the Defiant, but Kirk was in mid-beam-up. He's floating in that mysterious area of the interphase, and Spock has a better idea now of when and where he will next appear. McCoy has some good news, too. He's identified a way to protect the crew against the brain disorder caused by the interphase. It's Tranya. Well, not really. It's a neurotoxin called Theragin, and he mixed it up with alcohol to dilute it. So, you know, Scotty already has a barrel of the stuff in his quarters. All right, gang, time for the next interphase. The Tholians are getting ready to close up their web just as Kirk appears floating in front of the view screen on the bridge. The seconds are ticking down, and the Tholians have activated a tractor field. The Enterprise tries to resist, and before you can say E equals MC squared, something science enough happens to make the Enterprise get thrown 2.7 parsecs. That's more than eight and a half light years away from their last position. Spock then dramatically makes the transporter room wait just a little longer to beam Kirk aboard. McCoy is there ready to administer a little triox compound, not to be confused with 0 3 ozone to help Kirk recover from his bizarre experience. All safe and back on the bridge, Kirk recounts the story of being alone in his own universe and then asks Spock and McCoy if they watched his farewell message. So then, two of his senior officers lie and say they did not. The end.
2: Yeah, I want to ask you about that later.
0: i thought you would
2: (laughs) i want to ask you about something else first though what is up with uh spock waiting until seriously all of kirk's air is gone (laughs) so there's very dramatic there's kirk on main screen right (laughs) yes they can all see him they all know where he is nobody's moving around anymore certainly we could go ahead and beam him aboard he he's he's mouth you know going like a guppy who's like you know throwing himself out of the bowl and onto the piano and Spock's like, hold it, wait a <laughs> minute, ah, ah, wait, wait, wait. bring him in.
0: Yeah, what is up with that? Vulcans, you know, they they may lack a, a certain uh, emotional element, uh, but they they certainly do not lack the panache for a dramatic pause. Well,
2: here's the thing, though, <laughs> you know, if you can pull that off by yourself when no one else is looking, right, then that's cool. You know, if you're gonna like, I'm gonna make it look like we're waiting until the last minute. Or not waiting, but like, you know, I'm make it look like I just had like just seconds left, and really I could have done this five minutes ago. Right. It's another thing to sit there with everybody staring straight at him. Yeah. Going, Yeah. Mm, not yet. <laughs> mm, not yet. And what yeah. was he saying, by the way? Was it Hurry Spock? Was that what he kept saying? I kept trying to read yeah. his
0: lips. <laughs> Stop being so dramatic, Spock. <laughs> Stop being Hurry. so dramatic, You're Give such a drama order. queen, Spock. Give the order, please. Yeah. yeah. Please. Well, you know, we can agree that uh, the the science is pretty clear that if you're running out of air, Mm -hmm. you will die. Yeah. Um, I I think the piece of science that is a little harder to grapple with is space breaking up. And and I just decided early on I wasn't going to touch it. Um, I'm just going to throw around words like dark matter. And if it gets worse, I'll just put quantum in front of everything. And that's how we will justify the science in, in front of this episode.
2: Yeah, I'm fine with that. Okay, I mean, this good. is not such a this is not such a random thing. I mean, we'll even see something like this in the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is not. I mean, it's a good science fiction thing, and you're right. If you if you put just enough sciency words around it, it's kind of okay. Because we are all cool. I mean, you know, Mirror Mirror made us all hip to the idea that there's more than one universe. Yeah, and Mirror Mirror actually made us all hip to the idea that we can go between one and the other.
0: Right. So you
2: know, some Jim kind and of accident. Lazarus. Yeah. yeah, and
0: then Lazarus made us hip to the idea that we just never wanted to see that again.
2: Wait, I'm sorry. What of Lazarus? <laughs> what of Lazarus? What of Lazarus? <laughs> I, I I don't remember. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of okay with it. I mean, as long as they don't make it, you know, something that's going to happen here. I come to think of it, though, we've done this a million. Well, no, that was time travel when we went back and yeah. when we went back in time. You know how you can tell if, because we call it going back in time. <laughs>
0: so. What if what if Kurt spent all that time in the interphase? Just wrestling with Lazarus in a in a corridor.
2: <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing that I was thinking about. They're like, okay, so Kirk isn't where he was supposed to be when we were going to beam him. Was he actually yeah. standing in that one place the whole time on the bridge of the non-existent? At least for the first interface on the bridge I, of the non-existent. Thought, yeah. yeah. Was he allowed to walk around? Because when he's sitting there musing about it, it was in a whole universe by myself. I'm thinking, really, did, in two hours and sixteen minutes. Did you have time to check the whole universe? Oh, just or, the whole. sure there wasn't. Maybe one other guy, you know, you had a yeah. whole ship to yourself. I'll grant you. Right. Except for a couple of dead guys. Um, uh, speaking of that ship, no record of a mutiny on a starship before. So I guess they left their records on the other side of this side of paradise. Is that right?
0: <laughs> uh, well, where uh, they had the uh, Tolosians the uh, just sort of create an illusion that there had not been a mutiny ever before. <laughs> that that. Was it.
2: Or maybe it's just Spock toying with Chekhov because Chekhov wasn't there.
0: Right, <laughs> exactly. He
2: doesn't want to give the kid ideas, right? Has there yeah. ever been a mutiny before? No, sir. No. no, there never has been, and you don't want to be the first one, Ivan, all right? Nope. I'm sorry, Pavel. What's your name?
0: Yeah. Pavel. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no need looking that up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just take my word for it. Speaking of uh, taking my word for it, it, you know, here's the thing. The, the very opening of this episode, we see a ship. But there's no indication that the ship is there. There's no radiation. Sensors don't see anything at all. Okay, let's beam over. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, fortunately they have the foresight of putting on the the spacesuits. So I love the spacesuits. By the way,
2: I love the fact oh, that they so that they all get their own spacesuit with their own name on it.
0: But their names, yes, that's fantastic. Yes.
2: I actually want one of those. Why we don't see more of those when we go to the conventions? I don't know. Because well. By of, the way, except for the I, part I, where you have to be sewn into it.
0: Right, right. I I left it out of trivia, but it it is interesting to note that uh, when D. Kelly's uh, McCoy costume, the spacesuit, got sold at auction, uh, they had estimated between six and eight grand for it, and it went for over $120,000. Get out. No, I would not lie to you about that. That is kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Another great moment in that scene. So there's no ship there. There's no ship there. Let's beam over to the ship. Yeah. And, and then they get on the bridge. And I, I love Kirk's orders at that point. Uh, Spock, you stay with me on the bridge. You others go off on your own in this ship full of dead people. <laughs> McCoy, Chekhov, break up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You guys,
2: excitable one. You go find as many dead people as you can. Yeah. Sending the medical guy off. I understand. But, you know, keeping maybe keeping Spock and Chekhov close together might have been good or keeping Chekhov with him might have been good as well. I got to say really quickly before we get too far away from the transporter room. Yeah. And he'll make a questionable decision later when he decides to take the transporter apart while the captain is off ship. But really, (laughs) maybe O'Neill should be promoted because you're right. Spock, Sulu, nobody can get a clear read on on the Defiant. (laughs) O'Neill, right. on the other hand, can put them on the bridge. He's like, yeah, yes, I can put yeah. you right on the bridge. And they're like, you know, at that point, Kirk should have said, young man, you've got a future in this organization. Why don't you go relieve anybody you want on the, right. On the bridge right now? Because you are seriously leagues ahead of, look at this clown with the ears. Yeah, he's coming with me because he's no good here right now.
0: Yeah, he's like, hey, I've got the coordinates right here for the thing that doesn't exist that can't be detected. <laughs> exactly.
2: You know? And there's your shot at mutiny right there. Can yes. you get us on
0: the, on the bridge of the ship that doesn't exist?
2: Absolutely. Can you yeah. really? <laughs> Far as you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's very good. Hey, were you happy to see the return of the Mad Cam, the uh, fisheye lens? I know I that was. you really dug that. And, I was. Uh, is there truth, no beauty?
2: What's interesting yeah. is we both had the exact same note, return of the Mad Cam. <laughs> right. That was it. Yeah. A pleasure very to true. see. A pleasure to see.
0: Um, a lot of assumptions here. Spock has never seen this thing before there's a lot of unknowns here he, he's he doesn't understand the interface at first they've never met the Tholians before but he's just sure like okay uh, it, it, here's the thing the, the web is going to destroy us <laughs> we will never see home again um, and I don't know what this phenomenon is I don't know why space is breaking up but let me go ahead and tell you how it's going to happen again
2: yeah, his knowledge of aliens we've never met before is kind of stunning, too. Like, remember how we had never come across uh the Gorgon and his people before? And he was yep. like, well, legend has it. He's like I already separated that part out, right? So the the Tholians say you've got one hour and 53 minutes because that's what Spock said. One hour and yep. 53 minutes is a ship coming. We're going to take care of that and then we'll be out of your hair or, you know, yep. whatever that is on top of what I assume is your head. We'll be out of it. At that point, and the Tholians are like, fine, one hour, 53 minutes. At one hour and 54 minutes, the Tholians start firing. And Spock nice. says, ah, the renowned punctuality of the Tholians.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Really? Wow, right. their reputation seriously precedes them. We've never heard of this race before, but we yeah. have heard of their punctuality.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Kind of amazing. And, and it's interesting, you know, the, the Tholians there, I, I, I thought – it was an interesting choice. The way they were presented, you know, clearly there's not a lot of budget there. So we did see something vaguely alien. Uh, the voice, though, not very, very intimidating. I, I might actually start laughing if I were on the bridge and started hearing the Tholian make threats. Well, they may not
2: have. They may not have learned everything that Balok learned.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. they got the scary yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean,
2: know. this may be like another little kid thing, and they've got the scary, you know, the scary big, you know, fake puppet head. Although it looks a little more menacing than Baylock's puppet head. But they right. haven't figured out the whole voice thing yet. Right. Well, wrong.
0: you know, the, the other thing that they did learn from Balog is Tranya, Good old Tranya. I mean, it, it will cure everything. Um, Scotty's is still a drunk, doesn't care. <laughs> he he makes it with alcohol. He's good to go.
2: You see, I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with you that this is Tranya, though. And maybe it's just the size of the no. glasses. This, to me, did not read like Tranya. This uh, read just like straight up tang to mm. me. And mm. scotch by the way, lousy mixer with tang. Ooh. I will tell you. Um, oh. gin is what you're looking for or perhaps a lovely vodka.
1: From the line of Mission Log Toys, Trollian web action figures. Grab Pavel, Crazy Ivan, Chekov, Rational, Irrational McCoy, Disappearing, Reappearing Kirk, and of course, Spock. Collect them all.
2: jump to the part where we're you know saying what this episode is but i feel like we kind of have to start by and you and i haven't talked about this but i think we would both agree it's my guess mm-hmm. that we would both agree this is really sort of a character study i mean it's half like oh something creepy happening on the enterprise or something vexing happening on the enterprise but it really kind of is a study of the of the of the characters uh, particularly of of spock and mccoy
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
2: All right. Yeah. So, I mean, the problem is, to me, it seems like their characters get a little muddy. I mean, it's interesting to watch them, and it's interesting to watch them do things they don't always do. Mm -hmm. We've seen Spock in command a few times, but, you know, we don't see him in command every week. Uh, Spock's desire to stay with Kirk is both um, touching and senseless. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's also very non-Vulcan. Now, that's assuming that he's staying with Kirk, because it doesn't seem to me that he is requesting... That he stayed behind in Kirk's place. Like when Kirk says, all right, so you three get over there. We're going to beam you over. And Mm -hmm. then Spock's like, "Eh, request to stay behind. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: He didn't say, Captain, you should go in my place. He just sort of seemed to request, you know, to stay with with Kirk. Right. Now, if he's suggesting that he stay rather than Kirk, that is 100% Spock. Since the ship and the crew need their captain uh, more than they need him. And right. that, and you can argue about who's the better officer and all that stuff. That's not really what's at issue. I mean, they need their captain. You know, everybody coming yeah. back without the leader, e- even insane space. That's going to, you know, shake everybody up a tiny bit. <laughs> what was your feeling, though? Was he asking to stay with Kirk or was he saying, no, no, you go ahead and and I'll stay here and 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 wait and get it out of existence?
0: Yeah, that, that's exactly what I thought. I, I thought that Spock was saying, you need to go back. Well, I'll stay here.
2: Interesting and
0: yeah, yeah. That, that's the way that I interpreted it. And I thought that either way, this is a bad choice because we we need a <laughs> we, we need a, a sciency resolution to this problem, and the only person who can do that is Spock. And if Spock is on the ghost ship, um, chances are he will not be able to figure out a way back from the ghost ship because he, he, the, the ship is dissolving, it's falling apart and things aren't working. It, it's not even there as far as you can tell. I, I, I would doubt his abilities to get himself back. In this episode, anyway, you have to have Spock on the Enterprise and then you raise the stakes, you know, just from a storytelling point of view, you raise the stakes by having Kirk on the Defiant. Now, it raises an interesting question. Had Spock stayed on the Defiant, What would Kirk have done? What would he have been able to do? Because I really think that he would not have been able to do anything. And then McCoy's suggestion of we need to get out of here because space is destroying our ship. That still would have been the better choice. You know, everything gets changed around at that point. You just have to hope that Spock can figure it out himself on the Defiant at that point.
2: Well, I mean, maybe he does another one of those all calls. You know, where he just opens up the intercom to everybody and he's like, "All right, there's there's no stupid answer." <laughs> right. <laughs> how do right. we get him back? A- Any questions? Anybody? I'm also anybody? a little curious how the Tholians don't know about the you know this this weak this weakness in space. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the real reason though you need Spock back on the Enterprise is this is an episode that's about Spock and McCoy. Right. Even right. if it's not, you know, eh, I don't feel like they're very consistent, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. I will say there is one good moment of, of Kirk examination in mm. this episode. There aren't many. I mean, and it's not when he's, you know, there like a like a carp on land and it's not, you know, right. it's not when he's at the right. end going, so you two, huh? how about my pep talk? It's not that either. <laughs> um, the shots of Kirk by himself on the bridge of the Defiant are awesome when yeah. When he's like when they're trying to beam him out, and you know yeah. they're not getting anything on the enterprise, and then we cut back to the defiant and it would have been easy to do like you know he's he's dematerializing he's rematerializing it would have been easy to do like a, oh, I'm feeling kind of weird, he's just standing there looking at all the dead people he's standing yeah. there alone, looking at a dead starship captain at his feet and 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 really i I don't know what the direction was on that, I don't know what Shatner reached into for that, but Kirk standing there. Just like, I got nobody to command and that could have been me. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. and it's not overacted at all. There was just something that was very poignant about his standing there, you know, among death, facing his own mortality in, a, in, in almost the most black and white way that you possibly could. That I thought yeah. was fantastic. And that's, you know, it's it's a neat character moment for, for Kirk in an episode that has almost no character moments uh, for either William Shatner or uh, Kirk. Yeah, with the, with <laughs> right. the exception of, you know, <laughs> like turning up well, in weird places.
0: Uh, well, it, so, it, so I, I left this out of trivia um, also, and kind of for a reason, because I thought it would be interesting to, to mention here rather than there. The original idea behind this episode was to make a ghost story on the Enterprise. Hmm. Um, and, and that was rejected outright because of the supernatural connotation. You know, the producers have said, No, 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 we we don't do supernatural on this show. We do science fiction. <laughs> we sorry. do speculative fiction.
2: What? We don't do supernatural this week.
0: Well, I mean, come well, on. Uh, and no but but wait a minute. It, it, even episodes where we have had supernatural things, there have been natural world explanations for those things. I mean, if you're talking about Wolf in the Fold, if you're talking about um, the the Corab uh, 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 and Sylvia, um, you know, those are things where we we make spooky things happen, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> but then we give them. Real-world explanations.
2: Well, I mean, say the Arthur C. Clarke quote, though. Mm-hmm. What is it? Because I, mean, I can never remember it exactly. Any sufficiently advanced technology its technology would be...
0: is indistinguishable from magic. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, so how many pan-galactic, you know, multidimensional, god-like beings have we come across? A few. So you're telling me that the science explanation of that is, well, they're just more advanced than we are. Come on. The difference between that and supernatural is, is, is negligible to the crew of the Enterprise. You can say, oh, well, they're just really advanced. Well, I mean, the difference between that and a demon is we're calling it super advanced instead of a demon. But the difference between that and a god is we're calling it, you know, super advanced instead of a god.
0: Well, but, I, but here's the thing. And not having the original draft in front of you, I'm, I'm going with what the what, what the idea here is behind the rejection. If you're just flat out saying this is a ghost story, and then right. you've got dead crew members of the defiant walking around on the enterprise, freaking people out. Mm -hmm. Then I, then you have to stretch it again to do a naturalistic explanation for that. Then you have to, then you have to invoke the idea of, um, you know, uh, pick your, pick your disembodied being of the week, pulling those strings, making that happen. And then deciding at the end of the episode, okay, they really are dead and this is an illusion or they're really not dead. This is, you know, this is somebody messing with us and in, in our space. So I, I get what I, I get What the idea here is that. A ghost story from the literal sense of the idea you've got dead crew members and they're just showing up and freaking people out right then where do you where do you go with that because at Star Trek you still have to have an explanation you still have to have a a mystery that is solved a a thing that is discovered by doing that. And, and I feel like with the traditional ghost story, you don't really have that. So they came up with a more sciencey explanation for why you've got, first of all, a bunch of dead bodies. And then you've got the disembodied Kirk showing up where he shouldn't, you all know? Right. So I, 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 get it, you know? Um, but uh, so let, let's go back to the McCoy Spock, um, relationship the, the whole thing is I, I think that's the centerpiece of yeah. this episode you know um mccoy's reaction to spock's decision to fire which was requested by scotty by the way <laughs> so, you know so if i was spock i'd say hey mccoy go you you hash this out with scotty <laughs> all right because scotty was one who said look we we can't do this you've got to do something about this you well
2: know? wait a minute as a good captain he could never say that Go take it up with Scotty. Come on, he's captain. He's captain now. I mean, whether he actually is or not. Yeah, yeah. The
0: the buck stops there. Exactly. I I get it. Yeah. Um, But I I don't think that Spock doesn't do anything flippantly or uh, on a hunch, (laughs) you know. So his decision to fire was probably just as good a decision as to do anything at that moment when faced with Tholian's coming for you um mccoy may have overreacted a little bit but i also get where mccoy is coming from
2: yeah the only problem is you can get where mccoy is coming from many times in this episode but mccoy is coming from all over the place in this episode yeah i mean to me there was actually a lot to really loathe about mccoy in this episode and none of it has to do with Hmm. DeForest kelly and none of it has to do with mccoy's character it has to do with sort of the Gumbification of McCoy that always happens, like you, know, yeah. this week we need McCoy to be a lazy southerner, okay, and this week we need McCoy to have no acumen with women, and then this week we need him to have acumen with women, and this week we need him to be able to fight, yeah, I know he couldn't fight last week, but this week we right. need him to be able to um we're sort of like <laughs> down to like Act one Act two, Act, three, Act four of how we need McCoy to be in this episode, yeah. um he seems to be the character that suffers from this the most with Scotty, a close second. Now that said, I do like the fact that we're concentrating on the relationship between Spock and McCoy in this episode because if you don't really analyze what's going on, you're just sort yeah. of, you know, witnessing them coming closer together. That's a neat thing to see. Um, but McCoy well, is just McCoy is just like it's just, he's like a cat in a bag in this episode. He's just, you know, yeah. sort of like all over the place, like his inability to believe Uhura. I found that completely annoying. He couldn't even for a moment, except the possibility that there was something going wrong. They, I mean, the, 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 that she actually saw what she saw. They are in a warped mm. and wacky bit of space where, you know, ships come and go. <laughs> and not, like, not like they pull up and they pull away. It's just like, hey, wasn't there a ship there that I was just standing on? And now it's not. I get his thinking that she's going nuts, but then when other people start seeing Kirk, he's like, "Oh well, then Uhura was sane." Well, no, because we know that everybody's going crazy. So how do we know <laughs> that they're not all presenting in the exact same way, right? Right, right. So they may all be sharing the same delusion. I mean, and and and, but McCoy is just like, you know, he's he's like so, he's still so very tied to his senses, which is kind of odd because we know that people are seeing things. I mean, we yeah, know that people yeah. are being driven absolutely nuts. Now, at the same time, there seems to be a lot of places in this episode where Spock and McCoy are just kind of switching places, right? Spock will stay, risk war, and and you know, like the madness of the crew to save Kirk, who is more than likely dead. Right. McCoy, on the other hand, who has been you know Kirk's friend for for nigh on however many years, <laughs> is ready to leave before Scotty's done trying to beam Kirk back the first time. You know, he's just like ah, oh, just die oh, let's get out of here. Yeah. And it just it strikes me as um. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm on the one hand, I'm happy to see that their relationship grow. And on the other hand, I'm sort of like, I actually wondered if McCoy wasn't going insane because of the thin space for a while, because he was so <laughs> not McCoy in so many ways, except that McCoy is like, you know, he's like the Bendy doll. He's like the Bendy doll of Star Trek characters. Yeah, Whatever we yeah. need somebody to show up and be that week. Ah, that'll be uh, that'll be D. Kelly's job.
0: Let, let me take on two of these things. For, first of all, the uh, the Uhura moment. Um, because, yes, I agree with you to an extent. It, it, it seems... It, it is annoying that he can't immediately put that into context. All right. Either... She is losing her mind because of the space anomaly that they've encountered, right. or you know, taking on, uh, taking into account that everybody might be losing it, and and Kirk is firmly in everybody's mind at that point. You know, it, yeah, I get that, but it's also the first time that we've encountered that reaction in this space. All we've seen so far is people going crazy, lunging, and Chekhov's going to kill Spock for teaching him science we haven't, we haven't had any apparitions at that point. So with everything that is on McCoy's plate, I, I'll cut him a little slack that, okay, here's just one more thing. Now I've got a crew member seeing ghosts. Okay. So,
2: but he immediately yeah. reacts to it the same way.
0: He does. Like I, I does. tried to kill somebody.
2: Yeah. Okay. We're going to tie you up.
0: I also yeah, yeah. tried
2: to kill somebody. We're going to tie you up. I thought I saw a guy. Yeah. We're going to tell you up. We're going to tie you up. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Right.
2: Because I'm out of hypodermics this week. So I've really, you know, I've got one cure every week. Right. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> and this right. week it's bondage. Yeah. And welcome yeah. to it.
0: The, the other thing that I want to uh, address, though, is, uh, yeah, I'm on the same page with you about uh, McCoy kind of being the, the bendy doll. And, and it's, you know, you have to ask yourself about the production of the original star trek and we know that by the third season gene roddenberry was not there, and we know that gene Kuhn was not there, and it's kind of like you need for the original series what you had in the later series where you had like the um sort of the the carriers of the torch for star trek who could look at it as a whole and say no this doesn't work because you had this character do this other thing last week or mm-hmm. a month ago or two months ago and I feel like as you and I have done Mission Log for the 63 episodes prior to this one, um, it, it really exposes a lot of our collective selective memories about these shows. We look at these scenes between Spock and McCoy. What's the thing that you remember from this episode? The thing that you remember is Spock and McCoy watching the Kirk tape And then coming to that moment of realization, we're better with each other Mm -hmm. than fighting each other. You know, that's the thing that you remember. But you very easily forget the motivation that got them there, (laughs) you know. So – it's sort of like kudos to the writing for doing that, for giving me a thing to remember that works well for those characters. But then as you and I do every week, we kind of pick it apart a little bit too much maybe and you go, well, wait, what, what is the motivation? How did those characters get from point A to point B and then finally to point C? Maybe A and B don't work so well. It is um,
2: It is interesting, based on your trivia, that it's a first-time writer that comes to this and actually strengthens the relationship between uh, Spock and McCoy. And yeah. what's, what's weird is where you don't have like a, uh, oh, a Braga or a Moore or, you know, one of the names that mm-hmm. we will know later who are drawing lines from, you know, season to season. I mean, you've right. actually, you've got a bit of a, uh, we talked about it in last week's episode too. You've got a bit of a softening, a bit of a coming together between um, uh, uh, Bones and Spock. Uh, mm-hmm. and Spock. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is sort of heightened, I think, in this episode. Now, you know, who knows what happens next week or the week after that? We will find out.
0: <laughs> right, right. I mean, it, it's interesting, though. You know, um, Spock, in my mind, it doesn't really need to explain himself to McCoy, right? And and a lot of this, you know, and, and McCoy is he's digging it in deep about. Well, Spock, you're probably immune. <laughs> you know, good for you. And and then assuming that, that Spock wanted Kirk's command, this goes back to your idea of maybe McCoy was feeling these effects throughout. Right. And, and maybe that's the way that we can retcon this into making sense. Well, and McCoy uh,
2: actually does say that at one point, too. When he's on the bridge and he, like, spins Spock's chair around so that they're facing each other. And I don't think McCoy actually right. thought that he was being affected by that, but I think he was willing to. Right. I think they were both willing to let him off the hook by
0: saying – Hey, maybe it's that. So we have to hope then that McCoy had enough of his faculties in place to develop the antidote, because otherwise <laughs> it's just crazy McCoy handing out Tranya. Well, now, trust me, it works. It works.
2: It may, in fact, have been Tranya or, or Tang with Wadka, as we said before. Right. Um, actually, you know, hats off to Nurse Chapel. She was the one working on it the whole time. She was crazy. She actually missed missed, uh, Kirk's memorial. By the way, worst Mm. memorial service ever. (laughs) Just worst memorial service ever. So, a lot of you know the captain's dead. Yeah. Uh, And then we fired on his ship, and now we're kind of stuck. (laughs) So, there's no point in my saying how good the captain was. Why don't you just think about it? Just think about it. Yeah. And back to work. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. The worst. And there weren't even drinks.
0: What, what, what was the point of <laughs> the memorial service anyway? I mean, seriously, they're in a battle situation. There's a new commander. Everybody on board should mm-hmm. be prepared for that contingency. Yeah. And, and again, going back to McCoy needling Spock, Spock should not feel the need to apologize. About any of that, you know yeah. it's just sort of it, it is what it is now when we get out of this situation, if you want to have a military court and you you pull apart the decisions that were made and you decide that somebody is to blame, then go ahead but um that that scene just kind of feels like it's out of nowhere, and then it just goes very badly <laughs> you know, you, know you, you needed you needed the guy going crazy and lunging yeah. just to break the tension in the room, yeah. You
2: know? Fun fact, that was actually an ad lib by one of the extras. <laughs> right. Now, it, 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 honestly, when they take the shot of everybody assembled in the room, you mm-hmm. know, I, you can almost see Spock like after doing his eulogy, you know, tugging at his collar. You're like, oh, oh <laughs> tough, tough room. room. Exactly. Nobody here's nobody here's feeling it. Probably, I mean, if you want to, if you want to argue about the you know, rewriting uh, script that was written almost fifty years ago, now probably yeah. like a better, a better homage to Kirk at that point would have been him from the captain's chair saying, "We've suffered this great loss, and and it's really terrible. And when we get out of this, we'll you know, we'll we'll have yeah. a proper memorial. But I know that what Captain Kirk would want you to do is, you know." Let us know if you see him floating around the ship. That would probably be the first thing he would want <laughs> right. you to do. But then the second thing would be just, you know, to soldier on because uh, he'd, he'd want us to get out of here, which I guess Spunk actually did say. But uh, yeah, it was a that was a wacky, wacky eulogy.
0: It was, but you know, but Kirk gave himself a, a, a last word. I thought that was cool on the uh, on the tape, um, although very pointed to this episode. It's kind of you know you have to wonder if they were in a different situation would they play a different tape? Okay. <laughs> so it would be Kirk saying like, "Remember." Don't huff the spores. Or, <laughs> you know, it, it'll be something else because in this one it was like, OK, Spock, you're in command and uh, make sure you listen to McCoy. But he drives home what we've said on the show before, the whole uh, pathos, ethos, logos thing that 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 is the as much as show is a description and an exploration of the kirk spock dynamic i'm sorry the spock mccoy dynamic um we get to paint that picture of the three of them and and how they complement each other's abilities in this episode
2: yeah i I do have to ask though and you 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 had talked about the fact you joked about the fact that his you know two senior officers lied to him when he when he got back from not really being dead yeah, but not really being, I guess. Um, is there actually any point in your opinion uh, to them lying to Kirk about what? about whether they listen to his last orders? I mean, is this and, and here's the thing? I'm willing to cut it some slack. I mean, it's possible that this is actually a bonding moment between Spock and McCoy. It's yeah, also yeah. it's also possible that it is a sort of reassurance uh, to Kirk that, you know, they won't kill each other or blow up the ship if he's not there. Right. Or right. Or is it just, you know, goofy, poorly written comedy?
0: Well, I think it's all three. Okay, (laughs) I'm cool with that. Yeah, yeah. I I think it works. It is a bonding moment, and I, you know, you could almost picture the scene that happens half an hour later, where Spock goes to Kirk's room and says, uh, uh, "He made me lie." You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's a funny
2: idea. That's a funny idea. Although runner up, I think actually the funnier idea. I, I love. I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to would they have played a different tape like do they have to go through like his quarters like, yeah, to be played if i'm eaten by a bear to be played if i <laughs> die in bed with a green woman to be played right. uh, if i uh, if i just you know forget to to be played if spock waits too long to be me back in when i'm running out of oxygen <laughs> you yeah. know right, right see also auto something something
1: Something about the image of Kirk as a guppy amuses me. I want a fish now, a fish that I can name Kirk, maybe, or Spot, maybe. All
0: right, guess what we get to do now, Ken? I have no idea, John. Well, I'll let you know before we wrap it up. We get to indeed wrap it up and tell our audience what we thought about how the episode holds up, what it means, and does the meaning hold up as well. So let's just talk about this as an episode of Star Trek, as a piece of entertainment, as a production. Does this one, to you, Ken Ray, hold up?
2: I was reminded when I was trying to think about this question earlier and answering this question, I was sort of reminded of a Beatles lyric. Mm. Turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. Mm -hmm. Don't think too much about the characters in this episode. What this episode, I think, is meant to do— is show like a coming together of 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 Spock and McCoy. And if that was not the intention, that is certainly something that it does. But really don't try to think about it from act to act because McCoy is spot on half the episode and a total jerk the other half of the episode. <laughs> right, there is right. no reason these guys should be bonding in this. Like by the time they get to Act Three, Spock should be like, all right, you seriously just need to shut up because you are like nine kinds of insane right now i mean because yeah. mccoy really is he's coming from like four different directions at different parts of this show um but when you're in the middle of it you kind of don't think about that because what you are saying is like okay there are three points to to the to the crew of the enterprise we've always been given these three points they are kirk spock and mccoy mm-hmm. and without kirk Like, do they need Kirk? Do they need Kirk or do they break up? I mean, is he the thing that binds them together? And so for them to find that strength to not kill each other and to not fracture the ship is really a great thing. And it's really a great point. And you just kind of have to accept that they arrive at that point in a sensible way because they don't. Yeah, but if you're willing to, I mean, if you're willing to overlook that, and I think you need to actually, because I really, I have really enjoyed those bonding moments. I think it was somewhere like in the middle of season two. I was getting tired of the back and forth between Spock and McCoy, just because it was just like, ah, I don't like you, I don't like you either. Ah, you're stupid, you're stupid. <laughs> That's all it was. And we've actually seen three times in particular, two small moments like we talked about last week, and then this big moment this week mm-hmm. where they, you know. Yes, they've still got their differences. Yes, they're still, you know, from completely different... They're, they're polar opposites as far as personalities. But, I mean, they, they've come to not only accept, but actually appreciate each other. And, and, and in that way, uh, this episode is fantastic. It's also sort of a rare Star Trek episode, it seems to me, in that it is very much a character about the character episode. Like, this is going to get us through a bunch of other stuff with these characters at this point. It's not about save the whales. It's not about, you know, don't eat lead paint. I mean, it's, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> right, right. it's just about these guys and these guys getting through it. And, uh, yeah. and that to me was kind of, that, that to me was kind of good. What about you?
0: Um, I, I'm afraid that I have to kind of come down on the opposite side here. I mean, I, I'll go back to what I said before about how we have selective memory about what's good and what's bad in, Star Trek we can all agree that a lawyer and a shower curtain is bad for Star Trek yes um, but and we can all agree that great character moments between the characters that we have come to know and love really help Star Trek they they help to um, really give nuance and detail to this big universe of big stories and big adventures um, but I feel like as a piece of storytelling here um, the the motivations get mixed up. Even though I feel like the pacing is bad here, like there are moments where it just drags and are moments where it picks up, picks up again. I feel like we're missing some script here as well. So it, again, it's sort of like going back a week or two. If only it had gone through another revision, what mm-hmm. would we have gotten? Um, we have the combo platter of bad things happening on the Enterprise, uh but then it just sort of all gets better because it gets better at the end <laughs> you know uh so that that's seriously just...
2: somebody was sitting there going to say how do we get them out of this and the other person said oh yeah. why don't we just get them out of it yeah i mean that really yeah. is actually how they get out of the tholian web it's like uh okay so it's gonna close and we're gonna be trapped here forever right. well what if we do this thing where we're not right okay
0: when i was uh writing the synopsis for this week i i literally because i was watching this on a computer i was watching it on blu-ray um i I was watching it over and over and over again and i kept rewinding act four going wait what did i miss about how they got out of this because i have to write this now yeah check the clock pal that's what you missed And I was was watching it with subtitles on going, did somebody in the background say something about Cross Circuit B? And then that's how they got out of it because I missed it, you know, Um, to me, the the iconic status of this episode, the Tholians, the web, just great visuals. You know, the the effects, the original effects were great. The new effects are great. Um, All of that outweighs its true value as a show, because I think the writing here. Is not as strong, um, but you're kind of drawn into it visually. Um, and I hate to say it, but you know, as much as I love the supporting cast, as much as I love McCoy, and I think everybody is very good. Maybe it's because of the writing. I felt like this show was hurt by its lack of Kirk and its lack of Shatner. You know, you had that great moment that you pointed out with him on the Defiant Bridge looking at the corpses around him. Um, but maybe without him being there, that's what kind of hurt the pacing. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I'm very lukewarm on this one. It's certainly not the worst, and it's certainly not the worst of season three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm just very lukewarm on this episode, um, even though I think the Tholians kind of look cool, their ships look cool, and the web look cool. And the character moments that we grate after we get rid of the other stuff, are very good. Um, But yeah, that's where I am with it. But let's talk about messages here. I mean, maybe if there isn't a direct message, um, if we, if we don't have that, what are the themes that we get to deal with here in this episode?
2: Well, I mean, I guess, as you pointed out before the whole, I mean, there's the whole ethos pathos thing that sort of referenced again, although I really, I'm not, I'm not finding message in this. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm, It's a character study, and because they say what they want to say about the characters, I'm okay about it. Did they say it well? Mm, not necessarily, but they got the point across. Did they say it yeah. in a way that made a lot of sense? Mm, no, not really, but they got the point across. I mean, we've seen much more pointless episodes, and even if you don't like the way they got from point A to point B, the fact that they went ahead and got from point A to point B, you know, with the, with the whole Spock McCoy schism versus the Spock McCoy, uh, you know, uh, union. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of okay with it for that reason. I like the fact that they matured that relationship in a fairly immature way, in a way that unfortunately you know, wouldn't stand up today. But yeah. those characters are so iconic, and we need to get to that place. Now, again, it's been a long time since I've watched every single episode of Star Trek. In fact, I know I have not watched every single episode of Star Trek, so it's quite possible that two weeks from now, we're gonna be dealing with the two of them just needling each other again. But over the past three <laughs> right. weeks, we have actually seen a a a certain amount of thawing between the two of them and I like it. And so for that reason, I'm again, I don't mean to go back and defend it, but for that reason I kind of like mm-hmm. it. Is there like a succinct message like, well, if you just give your friend a chance? I guess maybe, but that's you know, that's so applicable to so many things. It didn't it didn't feel to me like there was a message here. It was just trying to be either a scary story or a character study, or maybe both. And yeah. Yeah. sadly, it's not the best of those things. But still, for the steak that it puts in that relationship, and I mean steak like tying it together, not steak like we're done
0: with this. You know? No, what is delicious steak?
2: Yeah. Exactly. Well, that too, yes. Oh, great. Maybe we should wrap up. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. There's there's not a message to hammer home there. But I, I think we get to deal with things. We, we get to deal with the idea of uh, the the best and the worst personality aspects of the crew coming together to accomplish something. We get to deal with the Spock McCoy dynamic. We get to deal with Kirk being there in the middle as the arbiter. We get to deal with death a little bit, although we know that Kirk will come back safely in the end. Um, But but we get to kind of see how that process would play out. So I, I, I think those things are interesting. They are worth dealing with in Star Trek. Um, but I, I, I want to see more and better, and I know that we'll get to that in Star Trek, so I'm kind of okay with it. From this episode, I, I I'll just try to remember the best moments of it and, and try to let the other stuff fade away, even though I had to rewind on that fourth act about 20 times. <laughs> and now that's just seared into my memory. But moving ahead, Ken, what do we have coming up on Mission Log next week?
2: Next week, Plato's stepchildren. Join us, won't you? you.
1: Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at theory.com Next week, people in togas and a laughing Spock sounds like a fun time. Nothing ever goes wrong with people in togas and a laughing Spock. And transmission. Now leaving nerdist.com